When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined once again by the Liverpool.com editor, Matt Addison, to continue our series of deep dives into the Liverpool squad ahead of next season. And having pivoted to the defence last week with Andy Robertson, we're going to stay on the defenders this week and look at Virgil van Dijk. And Matt, I want to start off by talking about a poll I put on my Twitter account the other day. And the question I asked was, Liverpool fans, do you expect van Dijk to get back to his 21-22 levels next season? And the options I said were, yes, there or thereabouts, or no, he's in decline. And obviously, you know, there was no real question of van Dijk at this stage, I think, getting back to sort of the player we saw in 2019 when... He very nearly won the Ballon d'Or, but you know, 21-22, he was in the World Eleven still. He was in the uh, PFA Team of the Year. So if Liverpool get back to that player, they'll be doing all right. Well, I was really struck by how uh, divisive the poll proved to be. I mean, there was there was 55 uh, people that voted in it. Um, of those, 28 said yes, there or thereabouts, and 27 said no. So it does seem to have split the fan base, or certainly that that sort of sample size if you like down the middle so to start off with Matt where do you stand on that particular question yeah I mean you wouldn't maybe expect it to be quite that close but I can see why there's a bit of a difference in opinion I think you kind of touched a bit on it there in terms of you know we're not talking about the very very peak you know best defender of all time conversation but we're still talking about a a kind of level which I would say is is still you know, the, the best in the Premier League, the, the best around in terms of, of 21, 22. You know, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody of, of that standard. I still think Liverpool will hope that he can get, obviously, better than than what he was last season. I think he was still maybe getting over the injury a little bit. Maybe the um, the, the sort of impact of, of that was a little bit delayed. Maybe when you're sort of confident going for the quadruple, wanting to play every week, it's a little bit easier to get over those sort of little issues that you might have off the, the back of, of a big injury. Maybe that comes more into play last season when it's a little bit more difficult. And to be honest, he's, he's been asked last season to do a lot more. You know, the, the season before Liverpool was so dominant that if they conceded the odd goal, it didn't really matter. There wasn't loads of counter-attacks and, and loads of opportunities that, you know, he needed to, to be on top of all of the time. So, it's a hard one to answer. I'd be more tempted to, to go with the kind of, no, he is starting to decline, but I don't want that to sound as if I'm saying, you know, Liverpool need to find a replacement or, you know, this is the beginning of the end or, or anything like that. I think he will improve next season. I think Liverpool collectively will improve. I think it will be, you know, a completely different season, completely different way of, of watching Liverpool and, and how we assess them. 
I don't necessarily think he'll get back to the level of, of the season before, but I don't think he'll be a million miles off that. And, you know, if he is fairly close to that, I still think there's a fairly strong argument that you're still talking about one of the, the top three or four defenders, centre-backs, you know, in, in world football. So hmm. I would go no just about, but I don't think that's necessarily, you know, a negative thing or, you know, a huge surprise given the age that he is. At some point, you'd expect him to drop off a little bit. Fortunately for him and, and for Liverpool, the drop-off for him is still better than most players have, even at the peak. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wonder if we'll see what was the best version of Van Dijk last season. That player maybe not quite as as dominant as the, the player from the season before, but, you know, Van Dijk did still have, I think maybe particularly towards the end of the season, like you say, when when Liverpool improved, haven't struggled for, for much of the campaign. Um you know, if he can produce those kind of performances on a consistent basis, then, you know, you're looking at sort of a, you know, seven out of 10 consistently. Then I think, I think Liverpool would sort of take that out. That might be okay. Um, to sort of reflect on last season, then, I mean, one thing that I've thought about a fair bit with, with Trent Alexander Arnold, especially, well, I think it applies to Van Dyke as well, is, and players face more scrutiny than others and i think that that sort of informs our view of them quite a bit um so in the case of trends for example a lot of Liverpool fans talk about how every single defensive misstep from him is highlighted and for other players there isn't that same desire to look for any error and pounce an error they might make same for van dyke as well because it's sort of this thing of you know he's been the hunted at the top of that centre-back hierarchy and everyone's looking for for chinks in his armour. And now that there are more of those appearing, maybe there is sort of more, maybe talk about that. Maybe it, it has been blown out of proportion a little bit. Um, so I suppose the question is, I mean, how much did you think Van Dijk did struggle last season? And what were, in, in your eyes, the main reasons for that? I think he, he did struggle at certain points in a couple of specific areas that I think he used to excel in. I think that kind of one-on-one sort of defending when he's exposed and when he's got somebody coming up against him. I think last season at times there were players that probably fancied the chances a little bit too much, that the kind of aura of just mm. not even bothering trying to, to take him on, as was the case in, in previous seasons. I think that's been, been lost a little bit. Um, I think that's probably exaggerated a little bit by just the fact that Liverpool were so open and maybe if you've got, you know, a functioning midfield in front of him, maybe you can start to build that aura back up again. You know, maybe if he's got a little bit more protection around him, suddenly he starts to look a little bit better and, and people go back to, to what he was, even if he isn't at the same level as he was a couple of years ago. Maybe the perception could quickly go the, the other way. But I think you're right as well to, to compare him to Trent in the fact that we seem to sort of look for, for errors. There was, you know, a big thing, I can't remember who it was, that eventually dribbled past him after so many matches had, had gone by where no one had dribbled past him and suddenly that was a big thing you know most defenders would get dribbled past at least once in every match it, it's hardly you know hardly unusual for, for that to be the case but with him you know the, the standards are a little bit different so I think it, it's a combination of the two really I do think there was a little individual drop off from him but I think you know there's also a big big scrutiny over him I think at times last season as well there was maybe a little bit of almost a, an overconfidence or a kind of mm. sort of overcompensation in terms of Liverpool didn't want to look like they were panicking or didn't want to look like they were changing too many things because they wanted to look like they were sort of in control and 
you know, the, the same team that they had been previously, whereas maybe, you know, that the intensity had maybe been a little bit lost in, in the defending. And again, I suppose that's similar with Trent as well. You know, neither of them at times were perfect. They just maybe weren't quite as, as bad as, as what some pundits and, and maybe some fans of, of other teams maybe would have levelled at them. So I think I expect him to get better next season in terms of, of that, but it kind of all ties in really. I think if, if Fabinho can get back to his best, as we've previously discussed, then you know maybe that sort of solves a little bit of uh, of two problems really, two in, in one almost. So yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not worried about him, but there were times last season where I thought it, it just didn't look like he'd engaged as much as what he should have done. He was maybe trying to defend a little bit like the aura was still there when mm. you know, it clearly wasn't and that led to a few goals. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, this was the, the interesting thing, I suppose, you know, Van Dijk has, has built his, I suppose, his legacy, his sort of reputation off kind of almost being so reluctant to engage, just, you know, we very rarely would see him kind of put a foot in. He's more kind of about sort of, he sort of kind of marshal the attacker down this sort of, um, down this cul-de-sac, basically, and then they'd sort of lose it or, or they'd fluff their lines. And for so long, that that was probably his greatest strength, almost the fact that he was having to do so little because of, you know, how, how well he was able to read the attack, how well he was able to sort of use his defensive brain. And then last year, it just kind of flipped a bit where it looked like it was just, instead of being sort of assured and and, and nonchalant, it looked sort of careless at times and that he, he was just simply way too standoffish, really. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about the the 1v1 defending side of things because there's, there's some stats here that I looked up sort of, in preparation for this, that, that are quite alarming on that front. Um, if we look at kind of the dribble pass thing, so there's a stat percentage of dribblers tackled. So essentially the, the number of times Van Dijk's put a challenge in compared to you know the amount he actually wins the ball. And if we're sort of looking at peak Van Dijk, um, fair season Liverpool, 80%. 18-19 remarkably was 100%. So every single time he put a foot in, he won the ball. Um, 19-20 did dip quite a bit to 46.2%. Last year, like we mentioned, he was quite good, just under 70%. And this year, Liverpool career low of 42.1%. Likewise, ground dual success rate, 59%, is the lowest of his Liverpool career so far. And again, if we're going back to that 18-19 season, it was 81% then and 70% in the two seasons either side of that. So we have seen a big drop-off in terms of Van Dijk's sort of, um, ability to win challenges. There's some quotes I want to read to you now, Matt, from... Um, a couple of Dutch pundits. I mean, obviously the, the Netherlands have kind of, they're in sort of a strange position at the moment where obviously they qualify for the World Cup. I think, you know, they've made some progress in terms of having missed, I think, a couple of major tournaments. You know, they, they have returned, but maybe still not quite living up to the expectations. And there's been, Van Dijk as the captain of the team has borne the brunt of some of the criticism. Um, so there's, there was a quote recently from Ruud Hollis who said, um, Van Dijk doesn't have leadership skills. He said, you know, it's supposed to be Van Dijk and Frankie de Jong who are the leaders on the pitch, but he doesn't. And that kind of reminds you of something Marco Van Basten said back in March when he quite damningly said Van Dijk makes noise but doesn't say anything. And he said, um, a good captain thinks aloud, make clear what's going on, but Van Dijk stays in between. He creates chaos and that leads to misunderstandings. So, I mean, originally my angle on this was going to be, you know, Van Dijk's in a bit uncharted territory here because he's been sort of revered for so long and is now facing criticism. But reading that again, I almost wonder if one of the big problems with Van Dijk is 
because he has been the bedrock of the Liverpool defence for so long, when he loses that aura, like you mentioned, do you think things just kind of unravel around him a little bit in a strange way he did last season, despite being probably his poorest season Liverpool shirt, actually show how important he is to the side? Yeah, I suppose that's that's the way to look at it, isn't it? I think I think the first thing we should say is those quotes are maybe a little bit over dramatic. I think we've seen it when England have maybe been a little bit more struggling. I'm sure, you know, the, the pundits 10 or 15 years ago when England teams were underperforming and, and key players were, you know, maybe not collectively doing as much as what you'd think. You know, Van Dijk and, and Frankie de Jong have been picked out here as, as kind of the two that have reached those levels or played for that sort of calibre of club. I think, you know, the, the Netherlands generally have, have underperformed, but maybe the uh, the expectations on them are, are unrealistic if if they do sort of lose a few matches maybe suddenly the uh, the criticism is is slightly over the top but i think that's you know to some extent is is fair i think van dijk is is a player that you know he he obviously was was at his best when liverpool were at their best and, and you don't know to what extent is that the case because of of that or is one the result of of the other um I'd like to think that if the rest of, of the Liverpool team improved, he would suddenly look a lot better because, you know, just purely in terms of, uh, you know, we, we've mentioned things like one-on-one battles. We've spoken about sort of you know, positioning and, and leadership and all of that sort of thing. I mean, if he does have the odd mistake in him now when he didn't do previously, just the fact that he's going to have to make fewer tackles or he's going to come up in these one-on-one sort of duels on, on lower occasions, you'd like to think that, you know, that the numbers could improve and his confidence within his own sort of ability, which I think at times last season was probably dented a, a little bit, could possibly improve as, as a result of just having to do a little bit less defending. I think if you've got, you know, we've not necessarily seen the, the sort of typical pass from Van Dijk on the left side of the defence over to Salah, for example. We saw that a little bit less last season, which I think is, is probably a confidence issue. And again, sort of ties in with, you know, how Liverpool play collectively. But I just think, you know, for, for him, he, he is a player that needs a couple of bits around him to be able to, to make himself look good. Um, and, and that's that sounds like it's it's a criticism, but it's almost like you say that the reverse of, of that is true, really. He can only show his best passing attributes when Liverpool are in control, for example. He can only, you know, do various bits of, of his defending when he doesn't have to do it all of the time. If if he's got to make one tackle in the, the second half, it's it's almost more impressive that he gets that one right. It's a bit like when you talk about a goalkeeper of, of the top level. Allison, for example, doesn't have to make 20 saves and, and look amazing, but the one save that he does make, you can kind of guarantee that he gets that right. So I think if Liverpool can get back to a position of, of that, even if you know it's not actually true, I think, I think it probably is, but even if it's not true that the perception of him will change and, and the way that we look at him and the way that we assess him will change. But I mean, just to, to go back to the, the Netherlands point, I don't think that necessarily will ever be the case. I think they've got a good team, they've got some good players, but I think possibly, you know, him, De Jong, obviously Cody Gakpo has, has been, you know, important for them. Beyond that, it's not really a team with the same level and the, the same ceiling as, as Liverpool. So I'm sure the, the criticism will continue. He is obviously, you know, their best player and, and the one that you would look at and, and think has got to drag them forwards. But I think it's almost impossible for a centre-back to drag his nation forwards. It's not like Mohamed Salah where... 
know, he's obviously comfortably Egypt's best player. It's a lot easier for him to be able to have an impact than it is for Van Dijk. So I wouldn't worry too much about the, the Dutch stuff. And, you know, there's always been a little bit of chaos around the, the Netherlands over the last few years and not qualifying and, you know, everyone sort of thinking it's a calamity, which I, I get to a certain extent, but purely in terms of, of what I think he'll do for Liverpool, I think, you know, that the criticism doesn't necessarily match up in terms of the performances. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It feels a little bit sort of like, I mean, you make the, the England comparison there. It feels a bit like he's not really kind of appreciated. And, and I do wonder if sort of, you know, the Netherlands not, not being in that 2018 World Cup, for example. I mean, maybe that's sort of the closest you could have got. Um, obviously, there was the, the Euros afterwards as well. Um, you know, maybe kind of not having the sort of peak version of Van Dyke around then was um, one of the factors that leads into that in terms of, you know, not kind of giving them... Because it does seem like a little bit of a, a lack of respect on that front. I mean, it is sort of really intense criticism and stuff. And, you know, he naturally, I suppose, like you say, Matt has formed into a little bit of a scapegoat. I mean, I take your point in terms of obviously Liverpool need to clearly protect their defence a lot better with their, their midfield and, and, you know, obviously their front line as well. You know, the, the press starts from the front. I do think that naturally any sort of problems with Van Dyke are going to be more significant just naturally because of the way Liverpool play. And, and there is obviously a new system in place for, for next year, we think, with um, Alexander-Arnold sort of in the hybrid role. you got kind of more of that box in midfield, but I still think the kind of Jürgen Klopp principles of the high line, that sort of really aggressive approach. I mean, that system and the success of it has almost been predicated on a peak version of Van Dyke. So I think... Yes, you know, you'd hope that he has to do less defending, but also he is going to be placed as much as, you know, Canate and whoever else is back there is going to be placed in these situations where they are sort of running back towards their own goal, where they're sort of either outnumbered or it's kind of a, a 3v3 situation or something like that, um, where Van Dijk really is going to have to sort of be on his game and he is going to be tested to sort of the maximum degree. And kind of following on from that, I suppose, when we did the Fabinho podcast, we talked about how, based on the transfer links we'd seen, there was every indication that Liverpool were going to continue to rely on him next season. Um, it looks like they'll do the same for Van Dijk. Obviously, there was never really a question of after his first ever poor season for Liverpool, they weren't just going to kind of move on from him then. Um, no chance at all of that. But it does feel a little bit, and you know, stop me if this isn't fair, Matt, but it feels a little bit like Liverpool's success next season in terms of what their ceiling is, whether they can be a title contender or whether they're just a team in the top four race again is going to be defined in large part by the level Van Dyke can reach because he is, as we've said, such a key figure in, in the success of their defence. Yeah, I think we, we mentioned it a little bit on last week's pod where I think for me, it basically will come down to the two centre-backs and Fabinho in front. And that's kind of where I'm looking at it. It's either that makes the team back to the level that it was or Liverpool have more sort of troubles of, of what they have done. We know that they are looking for a left-sided centre-back, but it's not going to be someone that comes in and instantly takes the, the place of Van Dijk, obviously, because there's not really anybody out there who could do that. But it possibly could be someone that is a little bit younger, a bit more of a project, maybe gets the Europa League and, and lets Van Dijk sort of have a bit more of a rest, which I think is important moving forwards in terms of, of managing him. 
obviously partly because of the injury and partly because of his age. But for me, it just purely comes down to, you know, Fabinho and, and that trio of, you know, the, the number six and the two centre-halves. If you can get to a position where two out of the three of, of those are back to, to kind of close to, to peak levels, similar with Fabinho to Van Dijk, I don't think it'll necessarily ever happen again that he's absolutely at his peak as, as what he have, has been in the past for Liverpool. But if you can get as close to it to that as possible, I'm not really too worried about the rest of, of the team. I think Allison had a brilliant season. The fullbacks, I'm not concerned about. The midfield, they're going to sort. And the forwards, there's more than enough goals there. I think for me, the, the difference between Liverpool and City is just that little bit of, of defensive solidity. Obviously, City have got that with the way that they've played with you know, the, the four centre-halves uh, playing across the back four. They're looking at Guardiol for a huge amount of money. Declan Rice potentially might still go there. Um, you know, there's there's a, a number of, of bits there. Rodri being the best in the world, not just the Premier League in terms of, of playing in that sort of holding midfield position. I think if Liverpool can get Fabinho and Van Dijk back to the levels that they were at, the rest of the team will just sort of take care of itself. Obviously, it helps if the rest of the team can help them get back to their best. But I really do think Liverpool's fortunes next season basically come down to that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And I think because the club don't have the resources, and we'll come on to this more in a second, the, you know, the resources to go out and get a, a Vardial, a player we know Liverpool like from from what we've read and what we've heard. Um, they don't have the resources to get him. They don't necessarily, I mean, they might bring in someone who can play that number six role, but it isn't, it isn't going to be someone who sort of can compete with, with Rodri, for example, the player that you pick out there, Matt, um, because, because of that kind of, scenario with the club's resources with the club's budget then they have to rely on on van dyke and fabinho for, for next season really and and that is a gamble based on how much they struggled for, for parts of last season and it is um as we've said going to be one that plays a big role in determining kind of the trajectory of liverpool's campaign but i want to talk about the the transfer side of things now i mean i think i agree agree with you matt i mean there's no kind of prospect of a player coming in and, and certainly immediately challenging Van Dyke, but what should what should the plan be? I mean, are we looking at kind of a another Ibrahima Kanase coming in basically? But is it going to be someone who maybe next season, maybe the year after that, can sort of challenge Van Dyke and um and take his role to be to be that almost long term successor to to play alongside Kanate in that left sided centre back role. I mean, it's obviously hard to find a, a player who's going to be up to that standard. But I suppose the the challenge with that is, even if you do find another Canate, perhaps you need someone who can almost pressure Virgil van Dijk to almost have that kind of accountability. I mean, maybe that was part of the problem last season as well. And maybe in an ideal where Liverpool would have more of a safety net as in a genuine compelling alternative. But right now, it's just hard to think that they will be able to sort of bring someone like that in this summer. Yeah, that, that's got to be the plan, I think, is is to repeat that transfer and, and have the three of them. The two that they've got now are obviously first choice. And I think a big part of the issue at centre-back last season was that Matip had a pretty poor season, didn't look particularly good whenever he came in. And Joe Gomez just really has never got back to the levels that we know that he is capable of or, or was capable of, whether he still is. That there's a little bit of a question mark, but that there wasn't really, you know, if the first choice two were fit, which they weren't often enough, you know, they, they both missed, 
you know, various bits of football over the last couple of seasons. I think if if you've got a third person, even if it moves Van Dyke from left to right and you bring somebody else in who's kind of a backup option for him, but play him on the left side, whatever it might be, I think they need a little bit more depth and a little bit more quality. And like you say, he will, whoever this new person is, hopefully is, is better than Gomez and, and Matip instantly and can sort of pressure the two centre-backs in front of him and make sure that you know those two players are at their best because... You need that, don't you? You need that in any position. That there's not really too many positions across the pitch where you know Liverpool don't have more than one option. Or you know, next season, for example, Diogo Jota can push Luis Diaz to get to new levels and, and that sort of thing. I think you need that at centre back as well. And it kind of goes back a bit to the complacency and the, the lack of intensity that Liverpool had at centre back that we talked about a little bit earlier on. I think it'd be important to, to get that. You know, if Van Dijk is is going to get back to his best, maybe he just needs that little bit of a, a shove from somebody who's trying to take his position. And yeah, ultimately, you're not going to find someone who's better than him. But I think you can definitely find an improvement on the backup options that Liverpool had last season. And I'm pretty sure that they will go out and, and get another centre-back this summer. I think that'll be you know, a big part of, of the plan short term, but, but long term as well. It could be someone that's got a ceiling, I think. Already we've seen, obviously, Konate has taken over from Matip in terms of being number one. But the initial plan with him was that he would be that backup and, and have that step over the next few months. And obviously that has happened. Whether it would happen as quickly with somebody being able to overtake Van Dijk, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. But they are going to have to think about it. And ultimately, again, if, if Liverpool can find someone who can come in and, and take a few of those minutes off Van Dijk, you're just prolonging his career effectively, aren't you? You, you kind of by bringing in someone who has the potential to replace him, you're pushing back the conversation that has to happen at some point. You know, the, the longer we can put off that, the longer you can sort of preserve Van Dyke's energy levels and his ability to, to play at the top level, the better. But the only way that you can do that sort of in a, a weird way is, is by trying to sign someone who can replace him in theory. So, yeah, I think that's that's a big part of, of the summer really for Liverpool. And it remains to be seen sort of who is the, the number one target. Um, we, we've spoken about Mickey van der Ven before. Uh, Gonzalo Inacio at Sporting has been been mentioned a couple of times. It wouldn't surprise me if if one of those two was was high up on the list. But beyond that, there's there's not really been you know too much of an inkling in terms of of who that might be. So I'd be interested to see kind of how the rest of the summer pans out in terms of that. But I think left sided centre back is is pretty much an absolute must really for Liverpool this summer. Yeah, it very much looks like the club are going to lean towards that kind of mold of centre-back rather than someone who, like, you know, Benjamin Pavard or maybe Timber would be maybe more leaning towards the right-hand side. I think you made quite a good point earlier, Matt, as well, in terms of, you know, on the thing about managing Van Dijk's load and trying to keep him in as, as good condition as you can, you know, having the Europa League and, you know, Van Dijk would have been playing sort of the every Champions League group game probably and then obviously, you know, the knockouts as well. You're going to give him basically six midweeks off, you would have thought. I mean, maybe he plays in a couple of them and um, depends on how the, the group stage goes, etc. But the odds are, you know, Van Dyke will have to play sort of less football on that front. I think also the Canate idea is is ideal in the sense of, you know, like you say, he played sort of, he played the odd Premier League game, but it was mostly Matip who sort of covered that composition and then Canate obviously playing in Europe as well. And you could sort of repeat that next year, as you mentioned, Matt, with sort of someone who plays in the Europa League instead. And that could be the ideal kind of um, transition, even though, like you say, it's not going to be quite as 
as swift as it was with Matip. It would probably be over a more extended period. And I think the one challenge that sort of stands out really with this is Liverpool have got to find a leader and maybe that will be Ibrahim Kanate. but like he hasn't had to do that yet. He's not been someone who would sort of lead the defence and while he looks like he is going to prove to be one of the best centre-halves in the world, you know, um, in the next few years, he's certainly on that trajectory. Does that kind of, does that necessarily mean that he can kind of lead the defence? Maybe not. So is that something Liverpool have got a target as well with the profile um, because they've got basically... The defenders they've had so far have basically followed Van Dijk's lead, but eventually they're going to be the person who needs to kind of um, take control of it. And yeah, I think the interesting thing with Van Dijk too is you know Liverpool handed in this long-term deal. Um, maybe didn't envisage him struggling as much as he did last year, and and the way he performs this season probably play quite a big part in whether Liverpool decide to hand him an extension. Because in twelve months' time, we're going to be talking about a player who has one year left on his deal and then you have a bit of a, a contract dilemma on your hands. But yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there uh, for this podcast. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Matt for joining me. And we'll be back next week to look at another of Liverpool's defenders. But yeah, until then, take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.